We're going to depart from our study of Nehemiah just for this week so that we can talk about a topic we've probably never really thought about, uh, been taught about. I know as I was preparing it, I've never really taught it in this way. But how to lament. Uh, now, I was looking at how to define lament, and so I, I Googled it. And the omniscient Google defines lament as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And while that is an accurate definition, it's not quite complete. It doesn't quite capture what I mean and what we find by lament in Scripture. While lament is a a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, it's more than that. Screaming at the top of your lungs could be a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, but that would not be lamenting. Sobbing could be a passionate expression of grief, but that alone would not be lamenting. Anger or indignation could be a passionate expression of grief, but that alone would not be lamenting. And there are many ways that we could passionately express grief or sorrow, and those things alone, they would not mean lamenting. In many ways, lamenting is a uniquely Christian expression of grief. Scripture is filled with examples of people, the people of God, lamenting. Around one-third of the Psalms are laments. There is one entire book where a prophet spends the whole book lamenting the fall and the destruction of Jerusalem. And in every biblical example, you find people passionately expressing their grief, but they're doing something more than just crying. They're doing something more than just screaming in anger. They're doing something more than than just sobbing at their sorrows. They are doing these things, but they're also crying out to God for help. Lament is a form of prayer. And while a lament will passionately express sorrow, it will vent emotion, it doesn't do it in a general way. Lamenting is taking our sorrow, taking our pain and our problems, our hurts, our frustrations and our fears... To God. Lamenting is God's invitation for us to come to Him with our frustrations, our feelings of despair, our our doubts and our anger at the things that are going on in our life. And the purpose of a lament is to renew our confidence in God and to strengthen our relationship with Him. I read an article on lament this week. It's one of the main reasons we're doing this. And it, it stuck in my head and it resonated with me because I know that for me, I go through times of discouragement, where I don't understand what God or why God does the things that He does. I don't understand why God doesn't do the things that that really kind of I think that He probably ought to do. And this discouragement and these doubts, they can lead to despair if I don't deal with Him. And lamenting is a healthy, biblical way to deal with these issues, not if they come into our life, but when. They come into our life. right? So I don't believe I'm the only one in here tonight who needs a healthy biblical way to deal with what has been called the dark nights of the soul. Anyone in here have pain or a problem that's causing grief or sorrow? Do these feelings leave you feeling discouraged and confused? Do you feel assaulted with doubts and despair? If so, you need to learn to lament. What we're going to talk about tonight, it will help. Open your Bible to Psalm 13. It should be on page 419 in your pew Bibles. 
And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm 13, David writes, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. The title of the message tonight is Learning to Lament. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And we come tonight, Lord, as a people who live in a world that's hard. That oftentimes suffer. Lord, things that that are our fault, and Lord, suffer at times for things that are not our fault. We live in a world where the decisions of others can affect our lives in a negative way, where we ache as we look at, at sin destroying those that we love. We live in a world where we pray for them to be saved. We pray for them to be delivered. We pray for them to be healed. And yet it doesn't seem to be moving in the direction that we think that it ought to. Father, we have questions and we have doubts and we have fears and we have pain and we have sorrow. And we need you to teach us how to deal with those things in a healthy, biblical way that strengthens our resolve. In you. Lord, what the world tells us is not going to help us come to you. What the world tells us is not going to help us live for you. What the world tells us will not do anything for our spiritual life or our faith in you. So we must learn to lament. Fathers, we look at Psalm 13 tonight and what David has gone through and what David is writing out and praying in his own life. Let us take it to heart. And let us begin to implement this, Father, if we are at a place where we are lamenting. We need to lament. Fill me tonight with your spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, that I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Have your way in all things, Father, I ask in the mighty name of Christ my Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it doesn't take a biblical scholar to read this and see that David is in a bad place in his life. He's abandoned. He feels abandoned anyway. But not by men, but by God Himself. Now can you imagine the depths of David's discouragement at this point in his life? David has been brought up from the sheep pens by God Himself to be king over the nation. Repeatedly, in the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel, it says that God preserved David wherever he went. David would say, God, do I go attack them here? And God would say, go attack. He would say, God, do I go this way? And God would say, no, go that way instead. God had had always been the rock in David's life. And now David feels that even God has abandoned him. Can you imagine the confusion? Why isn't God answering my prayers? Why isn't God giving me the guidance that I need? Why is God not delivering me this time? When he has all of these others. 
I'm convinced that these feelings of of being abandoned by God are far more common than we might think. I imagine situations where solid Christians go through terrible circumstances, cannot see for the life of them why these things are happening, cannot see how God is doing anything to help them in this time of need, and feel that they're sinking to despair because they feel abandoned by God. Questions like, why isn't God helping? Why is it getting worse instead of better? Why isn't it getting any better at all? Just why, God? Why is this even happening in my life? In this time, we might be tempted to despair and to turn away from God. And that's what that's what these times do. They, in a lot of ways, they test our faith to see if it's genuine. What will we do in this time? And in those times, the temptation from the world, the flesh, and the devil will be kind of the, the advice of Job's wife. Remember Job's wife's advice? Curse God and die. That's what the world will tell you. Why would you believe in a God that's doing that and allowing that? Clearly your God does not care or is not there. Our flesh within us will come up with those same sort of questions. Why isn't anything getting any better? I'm putting on a good face and I'm saying the right things and I'm really praying and I mean it. Why? Why isn't it? Of course, the devil is always there whispering, trying to cause us to despair. I heard a sermon today and the guy said that Satan, his only food, he eats faith. That's what he wants to do in our lives is to, to eat and destroy the faith of believers. So when everything around us is trying to push us away from God, a lament, it enables us to draw close to God in the midst of our hurt and our heartache and our problems. It's what we see with David. Rather than sitting in his discouragement or his confusion and doubts and despair, he runs to God with honesty, with rawness, with prayer, And what we learned, our our key thing that we learned is that lamenting turns us to God when sorrow tempts us to run from God. Lamenting turns us to God when sorrow tempts us to run from God. And there are, in Psalm 13, there are four, and I think Psalm 13 lays it out better, more clearly, in order than any other psalm, but there are many psalms of lament, and there are these four elements I think you will always find. So at any time, we need to lament that we're at that place where sorrow is tempting us to run from God. Here's what we can do to lament and run to God. First is, go to God. And I know that seems basic, but it's a lot more complicated, or it's a lot more deep than it initially seems. Because really going to God is the key difference between lamenting and general sorrow. Going to God is the difference between lamenting and whining. Because we can go to a lot of people, can't we? In those times where we feel that way. We can go to them and we can tell them and we can pour out our complaints and, and that may do something, that may help us. 
And we can, sometimes we can just whine to ourselves or we can just shout in anger at no one. And those things can seem cathartic. But they don't ultimately help and they're not lamenting. Lamenting requires us to be specific about going to God. Not just saying, well, God is omniscient, so He knows what's going on. Well, God is omnipresent, so He heard me talking to Gerald. Or He heard me as I was screaming at the sky. No, no. Lamenting requires that we take our pain, our hurts, our doubts, our fears, our feelings of despair, and we take those to God. That's what we see throughout this psalm. David is not really telling us how he feels. We're just reading about it at a later time. David is not telling Bathsheba how he feels. David is not telling Joab how he feels. David is not telling one of his mighty men how he feels. David is not even telling Solomon, his heir, how he feels. David is speaking to one person in this psalm. He is talking to God. He has gone to God and he is telling God how he feels. Notice the repetition in verse 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? How long, in verse 2, shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, he says in verse 3, O Lord, my God. Right? I will sing to the Lord over and over and over. What David is saying is, I've gone to God. We're reaping the benefit of David's prayer journal. But he wasn't writing a book for us to be read. He was writing a prayer to God. This is what makes a lament a lament. And not merely a passionate expression of grief. I'm sure we have all had feelings similar to David. Hardship, pain, sorrow are part of the human condition. There's no escaping that in this life. That's not even a question. The question is, what do we do? Where do we go when the hardship, pain, sorrow, questions, doubts, and despair are too much to bear? Do we bury those feelings? Put on a good face? and Just kind of go through our life and hope it all works its way out? Do we whine? About our feelings. And just constantly whine and complain. Do we get mad at the world over our feelings and just blow up at anyone and everyone. Who even looks at us a little bit wrong that we take it wrong. Do we bottle these feelings up until we do have an incredibly horrible meltdown. Probably destroys a relationship. Do we emotionally vomit on everyone that comes into our lives. About these feelings. Or do we do the one thing. The only thing that will actually help. Do we go to God. This is what we must do. This is where lamenting starts. This is what takes crying and complaining. And makes it a spiritual thing of lamenting. It's when we go to God. Lamenting turns us to God when our sorrow tempts us to run from God. And to turn to God, we actually have to go to God. Secondly, pour out my complaints to God. 
pour out my complaints. Now use the word complaints intentionally, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Laments exist because they're complaints. Because there are complaints. When we lament, we take those complaints to God. Right? Lamenting is more than rehearsing the issue or venting our anger or venting our frustration. Lamenting honestly identifies the pain, the questions, the anger, the frustrations, and the doubts that are raging in our souls. We surely see this in David's lament. There is a, a brutal honesty in David's life and in his words as he pours out his complaints. Notice how it starts. How, how long? I mean, you can almost hear the despair in his words. So much so that he, he repeats it in verses 1 and 2 completely. How long? Wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The idea of how long and the repetition, it gives me the idea that this isn't something that's new. This isn't something that started yesterday and today David is overwhelmed. This is something that has gone on and on and on. And at this point, David wonders, is it ever going to end? That's kind of the question. Is this ever going to end? Is there ever going to be a time where this is over? And notice his complaints and how specific they are. How long wilt thou forget me? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Now, those are powerful, bold statements. right? Because David, again, he feels forsaken by God. And he feels, one, that God has forgotten him. Right? That, that God just forgot about David. Got busy doing other things. And forgot that there was a guy named David that he put on the throne. And that he had preserved and protected and used. And now God had gone on and found someone else or something else to do. But more than that, David feels that God has actually turned his face away. How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? So the picture in the last part of verse 1 isn't just that God has forgotten. But that God has callously turned his, way, his eyes and looking away. That God knows what's going on. And rather than looking and getting involved, God is just going, turning his head so that he does not have to notice or see what's happening in David's life. That's bold, isn't it? That is a bold complaint to make to Almighty God of heaven. And yet it is the complaint that David pours out in this time. There is a, a raw, heart-wrenching, brutal honesty in his Lament here. It goes on in verse 2. How, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? Right At this point, David feels he is all alone. Nobody cares about what's going on in his life. There are no people who cares. God doesn't even care. The only person who cares about David and what's happening is David. He's... He, the only person he has to talk to, the only person he has to, to seek guidance and counsel and help from is David. He feels utterly alone. 
And he has sorrow in his heart daily. And the, the picture, I don't think, is kind of a mild sorrow. I think it's a deep, heart-aching, never-ending sorrow. How long is my heart going to feel broken like this? How long is it going to feel like I'm being stabbed in the heart? How long will my heart ache like this daily, every day? How long will it be every day if it hurts like this and there's never any freedom, there's never any relief, there's never any release? How long? How long will my enemy be exalted over me. I think the picture is David thinks he has done right, that his enemy has done wrong, and yet his enemy is prospering. He is suffering. How long will I do do your will and everything go bad? Did that guy do his own thing and everything go good? God, how, how long... Am I going to have to persevere in, in faithfulness and in holiness and in faith and in prayer and worship and, and doing your will and nothing getting better? And how long am I going to have to see this guy wickedly rejecting you and prospering in all that he does and everything going easy? How long? It's kind of lamenting prayer. It can seem overly bold. And even presumptuous on our part. I don't know about you, but I know that I was essentially taught as a child, we did not do this. You did not bring your complaints to God. right? And I don't know if I was ever explicitly taught that or that was just the impression that I was given. But I understood that you, you stoically held them in. You, you sucked it up. You didn't really talk about them with anyone. But no matter what else you did, you especially, you did not take them to God. And if by chance you took something like that to God, you did not accuse God of forgetting you and turning His face from you and not caring about the pain in your soul and the hurt in your heart, and the wicked prospering. You did not do that. Was anyone else kind of taught or, or given this impression growing up? No, the only problem with that is Scripture. Scripture is filled with people who lament in this way, and they pour out their complaints to God. Time wouldn't permit us to look at them all, but the list of lamenters, it would include Job, Moses, Abraham, Asaph, Jeremiah, just to name a few. I mean, and those, I don't know how to put it, it's the right way to put it, those aren't minor people, right? I mean, those aren't your one-off characters in Scripture that were there in one chapter and you never heard from again. These are significant people in Bible history. And they did not hesitate to lament and pour out their complaints to God during the hard times of their lives. And yet they are heroes of the faith. 
people who had life-altering, deeply intimate relationships with the God of heaven. There has to be a connection there, don't you think? Not only does Scripture fill with examples of people who did this, Scripture teaches us that our God is omniscient. Uh, and, and what that means regarding our complaints, questions, doubts, and despairs is this. He already knows. But when we go to God and we say, how long? God doesn't go, what? I, I had no idea you felt that way. Why would you think that? God is fully aware of the doubts that we're wrestling with. God knows that we don't understand why. God knows that we think it should be different. God knows that we're broken, that we're hurting, that we're despairing, that we're doubting. He won't be caught off guard. He won't be shocked. And He won't even be offended. Think about that. He won't even be offended. How do I know that He won't be offended? Because this psalm and others like it Exist. Right? In brutal honesty, David poured out his complaints to God and asked God how long he would ignore him, and how long he would forget him, and how long he would let this go on. But notice that God does not smite David. Psalm verse 3 is not the end of the psalm, and it doesn't read, Then God smote David until he died. The end. Now, to me, again, that's a big thing, right? Because God, especially in the Old Testament, He really didn't have a problem smiting people, did He? My Bible reading was recently in 2 Samuel and even in 1 Kings where, where David brings the ark up from the house of Obed-Edom. And he carries the ark in the wrong way. Rather than have the Levites do it the way God said, he puts it on a new cart like the pagans did it. And it goes over a spot where the ground is uneven and the ark kind of rocks a little bit. And Uzzah, he does what's natural. He reaches up to steady the ark to keep it from falling over. And God smote him and killed him right there on the spot. In the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira... They sell a portion of land. They keep part of it for themselves, but they say they gave all that they sold it for to the church. God kills them both. God has no problems killing people that offend Him and make Him angry. If this offended God, if He was going to kill us for the lamenting, it would end. And God smote David. And yet it doesn't. It keeps on going. Times when we are overwhelmed with discouragement because we don't understand why God does what He does or He doesn't do what He doesn't do. And this discouragement and confusion is leading us to doubts and despair. We must, we must pour out our complaints to God. If you have ever been in this place, you know like I do. Holding them in does not make it better. Holding them in makes us angrier, it makes us doubt more, and it can cause bitterness. What does Hebrews 12 tell us about bitterness? It defiles us. 
We're not defiled when we pour out our complaints to God. We're opening up a channel to have a thriving relationship with Him. Hold it in. Keep it to yourself. Act like you're going to work on it and you're going to just knuckle it down. You build a place for resentment and that sort of bitterness in your life that if left unchecked, if not plucked out by the grace of God, it will defile you and lead you to turn away from God. I can point you to people all over Oklahoma that have nothing to do with God simply because He disappointed them and they refused to lament and take that to Him. And now they are bitter, they are angry, and they want nothing at all to do with God. Pouring out our complaints to others may help. Pouring out our complaints to God will help. And in a big way, this is a test of our theology. Do we really believe that God hears our prayers? Do we really believe that God cares about what's going on in our life? Do we really believe we have a relationship with God that enables us to have that sort of open and honest communication with Him? If we really do believe these things, then we need to let our theology and our relationship with God enable us to pour out our complaints to God. Lamenting will, will cause us to run to God when the sorrow is trying to tempt us to run from God. But it won't be a lament if we don't pour out our complaints to God. So we go to God, pour out our complaints to God, and boldly ask for help from God. After pouring out his complaints to God, David asks help from God. Again, just like his pouring out of his complaints, his prayer is raw and bold. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes as I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. David tells God that he believes that if God does not do something, he is going to go to sleep and die. That's what's going to happen in his life. This hardship, whatever it was, because we don't know for sure, was so severe that either David physically fears for his life, which is entirely possible, or he's just saying he can't take the stress much longer. And if that pain in his soul and that pain in his heart and that feeling of abandonment, if that doesn't change soon, that's going to kill him all by itself. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt so stressed, so overwhelmed, so much pressure on your life, you think, I cannot take this much longer. If something doesn't change, I'm going to die. This is going to kill me all on its own. Pouring out our complaints to God, it opens up the communication pathway. And it's important for us to pour out our complaints to God, but that's not where we stop. Once we pour out our complaints to God, we then begin to ask God to help us. To clearly and boldly ask God to help us in our time of need. Scripture invites us to pray this way. But be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now there are four different words 
used to describe prayer in this passage. The first one is simply prayer. It basically refers to having set times of prayer where we set aside time and we just pray. Then there are two words that are very similar. Supplication and requests. Supplication in this instance, it refers to more or less pouring our souls to God over an intense burden or a need. Request kind of refers to being very specific. Uh, And so the idea behind these two words in our context is that we pour out our hearts to God over the very specific burdens that we have. That we just lay it all out and we're very specific about all that's going on, all the needs we have, all the burdens, all the hurts, all of those things. And then we're to pray with thanksgiving. No matter what else is going on in our lives, it is important to take time to thank God for what He's already done. Done. Now there's quite a few things we learn from this verse, but we only have time for just a quick hit on several things. We do learn that there are times when we should regularly pray. I mean, prayer should just be a regular, natural part of our lives. I mean, there will always be times in our life where circumstances catch us off guard and we're driven to our knees, but unexpected circumstances shouldn't be the only time that we pray. We should just regularly pray. But then there also are times when we must pour out our hearts to God over the specific burdens that we have. And in the picture in Philippians and in what we see in the laments and the Psalms, this isn't a time to say, God, you know, I've got a problem. Could you help me with it? Amen. And then move on down the road. This is a time to be very specific. It's time to say things like, my marriage is falling apart and I don't know what to do. It's a time to say my kids are destroying their lives and and I don't know how to help them. It's a time to say I am so depressed all I want to do is sleep and I cannot shake it. It's a time to say I'm so overwhelmed that I feel like from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed I'm having one big panic attack. It's a time to say I I just don't understand why this is going on. The honesty of pouring out our complaints to God, it has to carry over in that sort of honesty and specificity as we ask God's help in prayer. And then again with thanksgiving, we remember what God has done in the past. Don't let times of despair cause you to forget to what God has done in the past. In those times where we feel that our soul is being crushed under the weight of our circumstances, we must make ourselves remember what God has done for us in the past and thank Him for that. Fight. Fight hard the temptation to let the bad of the present erase your memory to the good of the past. Fight to remember the good of the past so it can, hope, it can boost your hope for the future. Thank God for the things He has already done. And one last quick point before we move on. And that this kind of prayer, it's really hard work. I know this psalm is only six verses and it seems short. But lamenting prayer is is difficult. It's hard. It's, It's labor. And it's not just a dear Lord, take care of this kind of prayer. It's more like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's what, you've heard me refer to it before, and of course, if you ever grew up, in, especially in Baptist-type churches, the old preacher's called praying through. Praying through is praying till we're sure we've broken through to the throne. And we know that God has heard our cries. He cares. 
Now, in, in the context of Philippians, we know that we have prayed through when the peace of God floods our hearts. And there are just times when you pray, things don't change. And we'll talk about that in a second. And we have prayed and we have poured out and we have done this. And just know, God heard, God cared. God's going to take care of us. He's going to see us through. That's what praying through is. It's praying until you know. And that and the thing about praying through is that you just have to take the time that it takes. I can't give you a specific amount of time. It's 15 minutes or it's an hour. I don't know. Sometimes it may be 15 minutes. Sometimes it may be an hour. Jesus in the garden it looked like it was about three hours. The point is, whatever time it takes, that's what we have to do. We cannot put God on our schedule and say, God, I'm going to pray from 12 to 12.15 and in that time you make the peace of God pass all understanding, keep my heart in Christ Jesus. That's your time frame. We can't make the God of the universe jump at our beck and call. Particularly when Scripture repeatedly says, wait upon the Lord. It's our job to wait upon Him. It is not His job. To jump at our requests. If we try to put God on a schedule, we will, we will quit praying before we pray through. Take whatever time is necessary. Lamenting, it turns us to God when the sorrow tempts us to run from God. And as we turn to God, we boldly ask help for from God. So we go to God, brought my complaints to God, boldly ask for help from God. Then finally, trust the character of God. Verses 5 and 6, everything changes in David's tone. But I've trusted in thy mercy, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with him. He's going from despairing to trusting and rejoicing. What's happened? How did this change happen? The key is in verse 5. But I have trusted. I have trusted. David trusted the Lord. Specifically, we're told that David trusted the Lord's mercy. Some translations render this as steadfast love. David reminded himself of God's steadfast and certain love for him. Who God was. God loved him. God cared for him. God had always cared for him. And so now he would rejoice in God's salvation. He would sing unto the Lord. What we can't miss here, though, is that David's situation hasn't changed. As far as he knows, God has still abandoned him. He still feels that God has turned his face from him. He still has sorrow in his heart. His enemies are still exalted over him. He's still not sure if he's going to live or die. And his enemies are still threatening to prevail against him. And yet, he is rejoicing. Thinking on the character of God, that God loved him, led him to rejoice in God's salvation. In the midst of all that was going on, David was able to rejoice 
in what God had done. And this led him to, to sing unto the Lord because the Lord had dealt bountifully with him. Now, having dealt bountifully with him, that's not in the present. That goes again back to the past like I was just talking about. As David was lamenting and pouring out his soul and pouring out his complaints and laying all of this out, he at some point began to remember all that God had done. All the ways that God had spared him. All the times that God had delivered him. And what he said was, God was faithful then. He will be faithful now. Right? Because thy salvation. David hasn't been saved yet. God has not saved him from this current situation. Perhaps he's thinking about how God saved him from Goliath. Or how God saved him from Saul. Or how God saved him from Absalom. Or how God saved him from any number of other battles and things that had happened in his life. But he remembers the God who saved me then is a God who will save me now. The God who loved me then is a God who loves me now. The God who was faithful in the past will be faithful in the present. David knew that God had not changed. The God of the past was the God of the present and would be the God of his future trusted God's character. This is where lament is meant to lead. This is why lament is different than just passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow without biblically lamenting, it may be cathartic, but it does not renew our trust in God. It does not strengthen our relationship with God. Biblical lamenting moves us through our passionate expression of grief to trusting in the goodness and the greatness of God. This is one of the reasons why lamenting is a specific Christian thing. Unbelievers cannot lament in a biblical fashion. Listen to what the great Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon once said about this. He said, The worldling blesses God while he gives him plenty. But the Christian blesses God when he smites him. He believes God to be too wise to err and too good to be unkind. He trusts Him where he cannot trace Him, looks up to Him in the darkest hour, and believes that all is well. Spurgeon, though, let me say, that can sound like a Pollyanna view of things. Spurgeon knew what it was to despair. Spurgeon knew what it was to suffer with depression. Spurgeon was greatly afflicted with depression in his lifetime. So he's not saying this from an ivory tower where all is well and nothing is ever bad. He's down in the trenches. Some mornings, some of the books say Spurgeon could not bring himself to get out of bed. His wife the stories say, plastered Bible verses on the ceiling so that the first thing that he saw when he woke up were promises from God to renew his strength and his confidence and give him the strength to get up to go do his job. He's in the trenches. He's wondered how long. And he knows, though, can trust what we cannot trace, believes that all is well. That's why we must lament. Lament turns us to God when sorrow tempts us to run from God. 
And as we turn to God, we trust the character of God. Let me close with a lengthy quote from the article on lamenting that I mentioned. The practice of lament is one of the most theologically informed actions that a person can take. While crying is fundamental to humanity, Christians lament because they know God is sovereign and good. Christians know His promises in the Scriptures. We believe in God's power to deliver. We know the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And yet we still experience pain and sorrow. Lament is the language for living between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. It is a prayer form for people who are waiting for the day Jesus will return and make everything right. Christians don't just mourn. We long for God to end the pain. Lament prayers take faith. Talking to God instead of getting sinfully angry or embittered requires a biblical conviction. Laying out the messy struggles of your soul and then asking again and again for God to help you requires a solid theological mooring. Christians not only mourn the brokenness of the world, but we long for the day when all weeping will cease. We wonder, how long, O Lord? But anyone can cry. Only Christians can faithfully lament. Until Jesus returns, the world will be marked by tears. Children will continue to be born. And their first cry will announce their arrival into a broken world. To cry is human. But to lament is Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, we all go through these dark nights of the soul. And likely some of us in here are already in that time. And God, we've prayed. We've wondered. We've looked. We've expected things to go differently and then they have. And like David, we wonder how long, O Lord? How long? Lord, if that's where we are tonight, You draw us to a time of lamenting. Lord, where we would come to You and we would pour out our complaints to You with such a raw honesty that we would even be shocked that we would dare speak these words aloud, much less speak them to You. Let us call upon You to help us. Ask boldly for Your peace to guard our hearts, for Your power to change our situation. Remind us of who You are and what You have done so many times for us in the past. Renew our strength and our confidence in Your character, Your love, Your greatness. Lord, at the end of the psalm, David's situation hadn't changed. He was still in that that pit, whatever it was. At the end of our lament, it's probably not going to be right away better. But if we're renewed in You, we can make it. Help us to make it. Let us be renewed in You, we ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen.